0: presented by sportsbook, America's top-rated app. i your host Ryan Blackburn at NBA Blackburn on Twitter. It is Thursday night as I'm recording this pretty late on Thursday. Later than I I probably wanted to. Honestly, had a uh, a mishap at the apartment for the first time. We uh, got a leaky kitchen sink and it it's basically flooded the underneath cabinet. Uh, that that certainly delayed me by more time than I'm willing to admit. But uh, it is what it is. Uh, gonna have to just bite the bullet on that one. But we're gonna talk about the NBA. And, and I wanna take a break from talking about specifically Nuggets. As you guys know, this is a Nuggets podcast. We do five Nuggets podcasts a week. And Denver right now, I mean, it's it's tough to say. They're, they're kind of boring. Uh, 14 and 14, they are just as liable to... Uh, have a great performance like they did against the Washington Wizards through 30 minutes and then just absolutely malfunction for the next 18 as they are to kind of just getting torched by the Minnesota Timberwolves as they were. Uh, it was pretty em- emblematic, I think, of Denver season to start now where Jokic in both games was very good. He was fantastic in the first game at home. Uh, until he wasn't, and until he was ejected, and you saw what Denver looked like when he wasn't playing, when he wasn't at his best, when he wasn't out there. And then in this next game, where Denver, their defense has been slipping for a while here, and this was kind of the nail in the coffin on calling them an elite defense, I think, uh, they have sucked, just absolutely been so bad on the defensive end that it's very emblematic of who they are as a team right now that when Jokic isn't at his best, and I don't think he was on Wednesday night, then the team is susceptible to performances like that, where they just don't get enough help from the rest of the group. So I want to take a break from talking about the Nuggets. I think there's been enough to talk about, and we're going to talk about much more dreary topics like COVID and uh, things like, no, I mean, we're going to talk about that in the first segment, but Second segment, third segment, we're going to go through the Eastern Conference, going to go through the Western Conference, and I want to do an exercise here going through all 30 teams in the NBA, maybe 29, and we'll just leave Denver out of it, Uh, but 30 teams in the NBA basically talking about where they are, where they're going, and if they're a trade candidate over the course of the next couple months. Because I think that conversation in particular will be illuminating for a lot of people where you don't necessarily know uh, who is going to be available on the trade market, which players to start really thinking about. Uh, but if you're a Nuggets fan, I think you got to temper your expectations for sure. Uh, but let's start with the COVID aspect of things. I saw, and, and over the course of these past few days, there's just been so many names that have popped up on the reserved COVID-19 list where players are either testing positive or they are uh, just a close contact for the health and safety protocols. Uh, most of the time, it's a testing of positive. And then if you are unvaccinated, then you it doesn't matter whether you uh, test negative after that. You're still going to be stuck for 10 days uh, unless you can produce multiple uh, negative PCR tests. Excuse me. Um but there's just been so many positive tests. There have been so many players that have been paced, placed into COVID protocols. And it's not really surprising when you you think about the Thanksgiving break, you think about where where players were going. They're going home. They're seeing a big group of family. Everybody that's vaccinated feels like they're in the clear. And the restrictions have really loosened and relaxed over the course of these last couple months in the NBA where... Uh, Players aren't wanting to do the entire process where they wake up in the morning and take a uh, PCR test and then go home and then come back and take a test and then go home and come back and take a test. It's just been a crazy experience for a lot of the NBA for a long time, and it's been exhausting. So I understand why players and uh, personnel are wanting to... Like, kind of relax those protocols because it's just a human element of this that people can't deal with that forever. Unfortunately, it just like that, that's really turned into a wide array of players that have been placed into COVID protocols right now. And here's just a brief list of them James Harden, Lamarcus Aldridge, Paul Millsap, Zach Levine, Demarta Rosen, Kobe White, Russell Westbrook. Avery Bradley, Dwight Howard, Giannis Antetokounmpo, Bobby Portis, Dante DiVincenzo, R.J. Barrett, Obi Toppin, and most recently De'Aaron Fox. Uh, There's just a lot of players, and and I didn't list everybody that's in health and safety protocols right now. We know that Denver had dealt with a group of players that were in health and safety. Uh, Austin Rivers is still coming back to it. He's he's missed at least five games. I'm pretty sure. Um. Bones Highland missed a few, Bol Bol missed a few, uh, but Denver specifically, they haven't really been as impacted as a lot of teams, but let's be real, almost every single team has dealt with a COVID outbreak at this point, point. and because of it, the NBA has decided to change their protocols. Here's just the direct tweets from Woj, uh, the NBA and NBPA have agreed to a new COVID protocols Uh, For the Christmas holidays, including daily testing and increased use of masks, 52 players have gone into the league's protocols this month. I don't know if that's just in the month of December or if it's basically like November 15th to December 15th or so, but it's still a lot. It's still a lot, a lot of players. If you just do the math here, if there's 17 players on 30 teams, That's 210, 300, 510. That's 510 players in the NBA. That's 10% of the league. That has gone into the league's COVID protocols. That's insane. That's a lot of players. That's just in a month. More from Woj. uh, The increased testing will run December 26th to January 8th, and masks will be required for players coaches, and staff on the bench in the locker room, weight room, training room, and while traveling with the teams, per a memo shared to teams today. Uh, That is crazy. And it's not surprising. I think it's the right way to go. I think that increasing these testing procedures while also being more vigilant on the mask wearing and maybe doing some more stuff from game days and then just like, being conscientious of the fact that the Christmas holidays are going to be a time where you want to spend with family. You're not going to take players away from that opportunity. But as long as you test, as long as you try to keep everybody as separate as possible and safe as possible, then maybe this limits it a little bit. Uh, But it is still pretty concerning that we've gotten to this point. Uh, The NBA has also incentivized booster shots, And they've incentivized players that are, of course, vaccinated that uh, there won't be as stringent of new restrictions for the players that have gotten booster shots in over two weeks ago, uh, long enough that the booster will be in full effect. Um, But it's clear that this new variant that is uh, kind of sweeping the world, sweeping the nation, sweeping everywhere right now, uh, it's more contagious. And perhaps less deadly, but still more contagious to people. Uh, and that's why even vaccinated players and personnel are still getting positive tests. And uh, that's, that's what happens with diseases. That's, I'm, I'm not an expert on any of this, but even I know that that's what happens when diseases mutate so that they can survive, so that they can continue flourishing. Uh, this was always going to happen. And it's too bad that it's now gotten to a point where we were seeing a lot of players getting sick and they're not just being asymptomatic, it is symptomatic cases too. So hopefully the improved protocols, hopefully the booster shots, hopefully uh, the vigilance that is going around the NBA right now and around different leagues, uh, hopefully it's taken seriously, hopefully... This is an issue that can be shaken, that can be really put to bed at some point, but if it's handled improperly, then this could still be around for a long time. It could look a lot like last year where you still had players and teams and uh, lots of uh, health and safety protocol folks where teams had eight players that they could play and 10 players that they could play. Denver due to injuries right now is really at 11, but uh, it's still crazy to me that uh, we're in this position and it's because sports are very important to people. It's because this is a multi-billion dollar business and that's the reason why they're going to keep going. They're not going to stop the schedule. They're not going to slow this bad boy down. They're not going to cancel the Christmas day games. Let's just be honest about that. But they are going to try other things. They are going to try to make this better for people. And that's probably the right call. So hopefully it works. I am – my my confidence is tepid is what I will say. Let's take a break. When we come back, we are going to talk about the rest of the NBA from a trade perspective. But first – as you know, this podcast is brought to you by DraftKings Sportsbook. I know that you probably watched Thursday Night Football tonight where the Chargers and the Chiefs made some absolutely incredible plays. If you put together a same-game a same game parlay on DraftKings that featured touchdowns from Tyreek Hill and Travis Kelsey, then I bet you made a lot of money. Uh, because that's what DraftKings does as the official sports betting partner of the NFL. You're a winner. Once a single point is scored, if you are a new user, uh, new customers who bet just $1 on DraftKings Sportsbook can, uh, for one team to score can win $100 in free bets. It is that simple. And the same game parlay feature, as I mentioned, it's going to be a situation where you're you're always going to be able to get creative. You're always going to have a good time. And the great thing about combining multiple bets is that you get a bigger payout. Because if you do it right, if you know the game, you can win a lot more money. DraftKings, they are safe, secure, and reliable. You can deposit and withdraw your cash whenever you want. So if you're interested in betting on the NFL this week, then make sure to download DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use promo code MHS. Bet $1 on any team to score and win $100 in free bets. If they score, you score with promo code MHS this week at DraftKings Sportsbook. An official sports betting partner of the NFL. Must be 21 or older, Colorado only, new customers only, restrictions apply. See draftkingscom sportsbook for details. Gambling problem call 1 800 522 4700. We'll be right back on Pickaxe and Roll. pickaxe and roll ryan blackburn here thank you so much for tuning in okay let's talk about the eastern conference first Now we'll do the western conference in the third segment but i want to go through the eastern conference contenders the middle of the pack and the sellers kind of breaking this conference up into three groups to really understand and fully have folks appreciate where these teams stand where these teams lie are they good are they bad uh, are they going to be buyers? Are they going to be sellers? Start with the top. I think that's the easiest place to start. If you're the Brooklyn Nets, Milwaukee Bucks, Chicago Bulls, I think you're definitely contenders. And I've honestly pushed the Cleveland Cavaliers and Miami Heat in there as well. Uh, not necessarily because I think that they are going to stick, but I think that that's how they should treat themselves in these situations. Uh, Cleveland, they've they've definitely – accelerated their timeline a little bit, but they have been one of the teams with the best point differential in the Eastern Conference. And they aren't like like they're they're if they run into Kevin Durant, then they could be in trouble. Like let's let's be honest. If if you're running into the Brooklyn Nets, then that's going to be an issue. If you're the Cleveland Cavaliers and you face the Milwaukee Bucks in the playoffs, I think you can still feel like at least decent because Jared Allen as an elite rim protector, Evan Mobley as kind of your versatile defender that you put on Giannis, potentially. Uh, There's a lot of defensive talent there to like, and Darius Garland's really good too. Uh, They've earned my respect. And Miami, they have been dealing with a bunch of COVID issues of late, uh, injury issues of late. Jimmy Butler, Bam Adebayo, Tyler Hero, all these guys have been out. And When they are healthy and when they're not playing the Denver Nuggets, they're usually a pretty good team. So I wouldn't necessarily treat them that differently from a team like Cleveland, and they're not far off from a team like Chicago, which uh, before they were massacred by COVID protocols, they were fantastic too. So you knew that Brooklyn and Milwaukee would be up here. Chicago, though, Cleveland, those two are pretty surprising, and they should be capitalizing on this by filling in the gaps on the roster, at least a little bit. The middle of the pack in the Eastern conference, I think is really interesting. Uh, seven teams. I have it at now. I have five teams in the contender combo in the contender convo. The middle of the pack is very interesting. This is the group. I think that they can sell themselves on being one or two moves away from making the playoffs legitimately. Um, all of this group, I think, is in pretty much the same tier. I think you can make an argument for them in each individual order. I've ordered them by standings. Uh, like let's, let's talk about the New York Knicks, for example. They're a team that has underperformed so far. Julius Randle's really underperformed. I don't necessarily believe in him, but if they do trade some of their other pieces and draft picks and things like that, maybe swing it for somebody like Brandon Ingram. I think you could talk yourself into them as a as a potential team that, if they continue to progress, uh, and if they if the chemistry hits right, then they can absolutely be the fifth or sixth seed in the Eastern Conference this year, and that keeps them in the middle of the pack and very understandable. Right now, they're at the twelfth seed. They have been very bad, but they've been like it, it, it's still so convoluted around the middle of the the seeds for each of these conferences. Uh, The Charlotte Hornets, for example, they are the sixth seed, but they're only 16 and 14. New York is the 12th seed, but they're 13 and 16. You could flip those records. Neither of those teams would be surprised, but the conversation about them would be a little bit different. So, I do think that it is important that we discuss these teams in the middle of the pack and Say, okay, they're probably not going to make massive trades selling off their pieces unless they were expected to be in the upper tier. I think you can make that argument for teams like Philly, Atlanta, and Boston. All three of those teams are 500. Uh, Washington as well, by the way, where they have uh, just been really, really bad. All four of those teams are currently slated to be in the plan. The Washington Wizards, Bradley Beal, their main guy, but Spencer Dinwiddie, that, that signing has yet to work out. Uh, Kyle Kuzma, KCP, Montrez Harrell, those three have been pretty good. They've kind of added to their group and done pretty well, but they need a better point guard or at least another player that can really take away some attention from Bradley Beal. If that doesn't happen, they might be going the other way and trading Bradley Beale. Like, they're they're spinning in circles and have been spinning in circles for a while, and the, the shine has definitely worn off on the Washington Wizards at this point. I got to watch them, and they were missing Kyle Kuzma, and they looked awful. Like that was the only main guy that they were missing for that game. So I'd be a little bit worried about them for sure. A team like Philly, obviously Ben Simmons is going to be in that conversation pretty consistently. Um, I can't imagine that he's coming back to Philly. I've said that from the beginning. It just doesn't make any sense from his standpoint and really from their standpoint too. Uh, though I think they can definitely make the argument that if he were to take like a DHO role, if he were to do some uh, soul searching, then he would help make them a better team I'm not sure he'd put them into the Brooklyn and Milwaukee tier, but could they beat the Chicago Bulls in a playoff series? Sure. Could they beat the Miami Heat in a playoff series? Sure. That's not really the goal, though, is it? Like, they're going to want to beat the top teams, and I just don't think that they can do that. So, they're here. And I wonder if they're going to trade Ben Simmons for a big piece, a smaller piece, or whatnot. Like, it's just so weird at this point, but. Uh, The Ben Simmons thing has been talked about ad nauseum, so I'm not going to go too much into it. But what I will say about Atlanta and about Boston, I have no idea what Atlanta does. I feel like they have been pretty committed to the group that they have. They signed Trey Young to a big deal. They signed John Collins to a big deal. Clint Capella, still a very important piece of what they do. The problem has always been on the wings, where They need one of those guys to really develop between DeAndre Hunter, Cam Reddish, Kevin Herter, Bogdan Bogdanovich, and they're all good. None of them are great. And you need great uh, in order to help Trey Young out a little bit. Because while he is kind of pushing the threshold of being a top 10 player in the NBA, like I'd take him over Damian Lillard right now, uh, while he's pushing that threshold, nobody else is really close to joining him. On that team, like John Collins is a great role-playing starter. Like better than that, he's he's a very solid piece. Is he an all-star? No. Is Clint Capella? No. They need an all-star in all likelihood. Somebody who can play next to Trey Young and play at that all-star caliber level on a consistent basis. It's the conversation that the Nuggets were having a couple years ago with Jamal Murray, where. He wasn't quite up to that standard at that point. Uh, While Nikola Jokic was kind of in the top 10 range-ish, Jokic eventually became the best player in the NBA. And Murray, before he was out, was playing like a top 25 player in the NBA, like a very clear all-star caliber player. Uh, And because of that, you feel good about Denver's future and their present when he comes back. Atlanta, I'm not sure who that guy is. I'm not sure if John Collins is that guy. Like He feels like a player that is going to top out at really, really good. And that's about it. Boston, they're always underwhelming. Their supporting cast around Jalen, Jason, it's been really, really bad. Uh, Trusting Dennis Schroeder, Marcus Smart, Robert Williams, Al Horford, uh, those are each good individual pieces. None of them are really stable, except for possibly smart. But that's just not good enough. And when you have Brown out as long as he has been, just hasn't really played a lot lately. Uh, Tatum has been up and down. And sometimes the ups are great where he scores 40 points a couple days ago, but sometimes the downs are where he scores 20 points on 25 shots. And That happens pretty consistently. So they need somebody who sets the table for him, for Jalen Brown, for Robert Williams, kind of distributes everything. Like Kyle Lowry on that team would be fantastic. They should have gone after him. He would have been great. Uh, That's not available to them now. But they might try to look at something similar. Not sure who. Maybe they try the Ben Simmons for Jalen Brown swap. Maybe that's where they get serious and those teams tie themselves to each other even more. Um, I'm not sure. We're going to have to see. I'm very curious. Finally, Toronto in this tier. I think that they are a very interesting team that could go either way. Where OG Ananobi hasn't played a lot lately. Uh, Pascal Siakam wasn't playing to start the year. Now is playing. and I mean, he's good. He's pretty, pretty good. Uh, Fred Van Vliet has improved as well. He's not like he's also not spectacular though. Like he's not an all-star caliber guy. Uh, but I do have a Scotty Barnes crush. Like that dude is so good at everything. And it is so interesting to watch a player like that where you saw the the, the blossoming of a skill set at Florida State, but they didn't really let him do too much shooting. He never really took a bunch of those shots and tried to limit it to what he could do on a consistent basis. Now we're learning that he can do the other stuff and it just kind of takes time when you're a young player like that. So I really like Scotty Barnes. I think he's a guy that they should be building around for a long, long time. And that's going to transcend probably Siakam. Like I I think that they should be going for a legitimate center, Uh, but it's not something that they... Really believe in, at least not with their current group. And because of that, like they are going to be long and switchable, but against teams like Philly, against teams like Milwaukee, against teams like Denver, they could be struggling. So we're gonna see. We're gonna definitely see. But for now, let's take a break. Actually, no, no, no. We've got the East Sellers, excuse me. This is an important piece. Um, Indiana. Indiana is the biggest seller of this group. They could trade as many as Demonte Sabonis, Miles Turner, Karis Levert, Jeremy Lamb, Tory Craig, Justin Holliday. Others could also be potentially on the move, but those are the guys that I would be concerned about moving. Because they are the veterans that opposing teams could really be looking for. And if you're I don't know, Toronto, for example, like doesn't Sabonis Make some sense in like a, like you wouldn't swap Pascal Siaka to be clear because I don't think that really helps you. Uh, but maybe it does. Maybe if they don't want to tank, then they might try something a little bit different where they get a little bit more forward play as opposed to uh, doubling up at the center with Sabonis and Turner. Not sure how much that helps, but I think it would probably help their defense, uh, Indiana. It would hurt their offense for sure, though. Um, I've long thought that Justin Holiday would be, would be a good fit for Denver. I do think that you can make arguments for Tory Craig and Jeremy Lamb though. Uh, just a higher level of competence off the bench would be helpful for Denver. Uh, but either way, I just, I, we're going to have to see Denver. They don't have many big contracts to work with. So players like a Tory Craig or a Justin Holiday make a lot of sense. Orlando, they have Gary Harris and Terrence Ross, uh, but they're five and twenty-four, and they're just going to ride it out with their young guys. They just seem like a team that is very content to let uh, Cole Anthony, Jalen Suggs, Wendell Carter, um, uh, Franz Wagner. I was thinking Mo Wagner, but realized that's his brother. Uh, they're going to let those guys develop. They're going to let those guys take their time. And same thing with Detroit. To be frank. Uh, they're happy as a lark so that they can suck and build around Cade Cunningham. But Jeremy Grant doesn't really fit that timeline. Uh, Terrence Ross, Gary Harris, they don't fit that timeline in Orlando. So I do think that Denver, uh, they're not going to trade for Jeremy Grant and they probably don't have enough money to trade for Gary Harris either. Uh, Terrence Ross is somebody that you could stick in the back of your mind, but I also I I just don't necessarily believe in that. I don't think that Denver's going to make a big trade for a salary for a player that doesn't really fit in the playoff rotation. Uh, If they are going to trade a big salary, then they're going to want something back. But we'll see. We'll definitely see. Let's take a break. When we come back, we are going to go to the Western Conference, talk about those teams. We'll be right back. final segment here let's go through the western conference teams i do think that obviously this matters more to nuggets fans and so i'm gonna i'll spend some time on this make sure that everybody is fully understanding of what the the contender tier is what the middle of the pack tier is and what the selling tier is because i think the selling tier it's pretty small uh but there are four teams that i think like they they definitely fit that mold there are two other teams that probably should sell, but we're not going to talk about them like that because they have pressure. And then there's the big middle of the pack, and then there's a smaller Western Conference contender tier than normal, and it includes only three teams. The Golden State Warriors, the Phoenix Suns, and the Utah Jazz. Um, Golden State's 23-5, and five, as is Phoenix. Utah is 20-7. All three of those teams are the only teams in the NBA uh, actually, no. Brooklyn is has a seventy two percent win percentage, but those three have the highest win percentage in the NBA, and it's not surprising that uh, the West has always been better. It, it but it also has come at the expense of the middle of the pack, where teams like Portland have really struggled. Denver is not the same as they were last year, nor is Dallas, nor are the Lakers, nor are the Clippers. All of those teams are dealing with something or other. Uh, Teams like the Clippers and Lakers are kind of in purgatory due to their injury situations, though Jamal Murray's injury may change things eventually when he does come back. But the contender tier is pretty solid. I do think that that group, Golden State, Phoenix, Utah, they're all very similar, aren't they? Where you've got a strong backcourt in each of those groups. Golden State, they have Steph, Clay when he comes back, Jordan Poole, all three of those guys, strong scorers, You're going to be carrying the day a lot of times. Phoenix, you've got Chris Paul, uh, Devin Booker. You've got Mikael Bridges, who kind of guards guards, uh, kind of acts like a guard in a lot of ways, though he's six seven. You have Campaign, You have Landry Shamit guys like that coming off the bench. Uh, they have a very competent set of guards as well. And Utah, they've they've been the kings of this. They have Mike Conley and Donovan Mitchell starting, and they have Jordan Clarkson coming off the bench. Makes it really easy when you've got Joe Ingles, makes it really easy when you've got Rudy Gobert, versatile players who can kind of do a lot of different things. Make things a little bit easier for your group, but could say the same thing about Draymond Green and DeAndre Ayton and Mikael Bridges and Andrew Wiggins this year. Andrew Wiggins on Golden State has been really good, so there aren't that many holes with those three teams. I do think that Golden State should explore looking at centers. They should definitely explore Miles Turner. It makes a lot of sense. Not sure if Demontis Sabonis makes as much sense, but. There's something to be said about having 48 minutes of elite, uh, big man passing when you've got Steph Curry. When you're going to have Clay Thompson coming back, if you traded for Sabonis, like let's say you trade James Wiseman, Jonathan Kaminga, and a first round pick, something like that, and you get back Sabonis. You could start Curry, Clay. Wiggins, Draymond, and Sabonis, and then stagger Draymond and Sabonis for the rest of the game. That'd be really, really impressive. And maybe it kind of nullifies a lot of what Golden State does at their peak where Draymond's at the five, they're switching everything, they're playing smart, they're playing fast. But Sabonis gives them another wrinkle if if they were to do that. Miles Turner would be very similar. Uh, there are other centers. There are other kinds of players that might make sense if you're Golden State, but it's at least something to think about, um, though they don't really have to panic, to be clear. They are 23-5. and five. Uh, Phoenix, same thing. They don't have to panic, but they do have draft capital that they could go use and contracts that they could use that kind of match a lot of different levels of salary. Um, it'd be an interesting Jeremy Grant destination, for example. Utah, I have no idea what they would trade for. Like their rotation is set unless you felt like you could upgrade upon one of those positions, then you're going to be fine. You're going to do what you do. Hassan Whiteside has been really great for them. Rudy Gay is now back and he's been very good. Very connective. The middle of the pack is where things get interesting because you have, like I mentioned, the Clippers and Nuggets are in purgatory. Um, but they could come out of it. And if you feel confident that they could come out of it and have the infrastructure around those guys in Kawhi Leonard and Jamal Murray, where you could really compete with the group that's left, then you might as well go for it. Because as we know, injuries are a ticking time bomb. Like Michael Porter just like disappeared from Denver's rotation and Denver's short-term, maybe even long-term plans in some cases because we just don't know how to treat this back injury right now. Because that's the case, you might as well take advantage of Nikola Jokic being one of the best players in the NBA, if not the best. If Jamal Murray comes back, and if you feel like he's going to look good, and he's going to be in a good position where he can succeed when he does, uh, then if I were Denver, I would continue to try to go for it. Maybe not making a super aggressive trade where you sell everything but if the right player comes around that could really fill in your rotation and that's important to find going into a playoff series where you're probably going to face if you're going to get past them you're going to need to play defense against Golden State, Phoenix, and or Utah. It's going to be hard to do that with the current group that you have. If you have a nice guard defender, somebody that you acquire, somebody that you trade for then maybe that makes a little bit of sense if you're Denver. Clippers, I, I don't believe in them. Like, they are 16 and 13, and like it, it does seem like they are better than Denver from a statistical standpoint, but I just don't really believe in their process right now. I think they're relying on a bunch of guys that are going to fall off at various points. Uh, Paul George, not currently playing, I don't think, but he just doesn't look great at this current juncture. Um, it would be different if they had a, another tier one superstar next to Kawhi. But I just don't think that they could rely on Kawhi to be back and be that guy immediately. So it might not make sense to go all out. The Lakers, they have nothing but Talon Horton Tucker. To really offer to other teams, I think they have like a 2027 or 2028 first rounder, uh, but that's really it. Like the contract matching is really tough too because the three big contracts that they have are LeBron James, Anthony Davis, and Russell Westbrook. And I did hear from somebody that uh, Russell Westbrook, like it's going to be hard to trade him. But is LeBron James above trading Anthony Davis because of how bad he's been to start the year? I don't think he is. I think he's impatient at this point, and as he should be. Anthony Davis was supposed to be the guy, and now he's just a guy. He's just not the player that they were hoping for him to be. And I I wonder why that is. Like A lot of people have discussed the waning athleticism. A lot of people have discussed the jump shot. It does seem more like a mentality thing to me where he might just be trying to fit in rather than stand out and and doesn't necessarily want the pressure of being that alpha guy going forward where he's always butting heads with with LeBron and AD and uh, Russ and guys like that. Excuse me. I can understand why But if he wants to be considered one of the greats, then he's going to have to do something great. Like the bubble run was fantastic and he deserves credit for that, but it is the only thing in his career that really showcases that he's an impactful NBA superstar. The rest of it is just kind of like, meh. that's just kind of how I feel. Uh they don't have a lot of great trade candidates, as I know, as, as, I, as I let you guys know. The contract situation with them is just really ugly. And I don't see them, unless they trade Taylor Horton Tucker and decide to get older, uh, I don't see them making moves that are going to actually improve them. The Memphis Grizzlies, I also don't see them making moves, but a lot of it is just because they don't really have anything to prove at this stage in their development. I have no idea what they would do. Like, they believe in John Morant and Jaron Jackson and the infrastructure of the players that they've also added to that. Uh, Dylan Brooks, Desmond Bain, DeAnthony Melton, Zaire Williams, Steven Adams, uh, Brandon Clark, Xavier Tillman. They've got so many talented players. I didn't even mention Tyus Jones and Kyle Anderson and Guys like that. Like they have a lot of great pieces. Do they need to consolidate and trade it for a star? Only if you think that they're ready. Only if you think that Ja Morant and Jaron Jackson are those guys. I think Ja is. I think that he's definitely somebody that could that you can believe in. Um, I am still a little bit concerned about the rest of that group in a playoff series. Like I think that Denver, if they match up with Memphis, they're feeling pretty good. You've got to get somebody to do the hard work of chasing around John Morant, but you're feeling pretty good if you're Denver, I think. Dallas, Uh, it's hard to feel good about Dallas, right? Like Luka Doncic, he's pretty good. They've talked about him being overweight. Uh, We've gone through that as Nuggets fans. Uh, Nikola Jokic went through that earlier in his career. And when he got serious about being in the weight room, he was fantastic, and has has seriously leveled up and become a different and better player because of being not just because of being in better shape, but because it pushed him to be better. Um, I do think that Luca may or may not be going through that too, where it's hard to fully commit. I fully understand this. Like it's it's. Completely understandable if you are a young dude that kind of struggles with weight all the time. Um, it's got to be difficult for Luca to have the burden of everything on his shoulders all the time. If I were them, I would be seriously trying to trade for either CJ McCollum or some other equivalent player that can take off some of the pressure from Luca. I know that CJ McCollum has had his low points uh in the playoffs before at times, but I also think that if he had a better tier one superstar in Damian Lillard, like where he was actually a top five guy as opposed to a top ten guy, then maybe you still get through that. And if you are the the Mavericks and you keep Chris Absporzingis, for example, and if he's continuing to play well, and then you've got Luca. CJ McCollum and Chris Apps I don't know if they're going to be able to manage that. Like that's something that I'd be very concerned about if I were them. It has a lot of disaster potential. But if they did manage that, I'd feel a lot better about their playoff chances than I do now. This is pretty simple. Minnesota is legit. Uh, I think they need another bench option. Having just seen them, but. They could push Denver for a top six seed. I don't want to get too much into them. I do think that they could be a Ben Simmons trade destination. That's been talked about a lot. Uh, they are a really good team, though. Like it's, it's just hard to find a lot of criticisms of them other than they need to age or Anthony Edwards needs to get older and get more consistent because we saw the best of him when he was playing against the Nuggets. That's not how he is always, though. Uh, and I think that if Denver played him again, they'd have more success. Like they'd have better success against him than they did this previous time, where it's clear that Aaron Gordon wasn't necessarily going to uh, take away the first option. Is what I will say. Um, Portland and Sacramento round out this list of the middle pack. Uh, this includes eight teams. There are three contenders, eight Western Conference middle of the pack teams. Uh, The last two, Sacramento and Portland, they should be sellers, but there may be a playoff mandate in each of those places where those guys, those GMs especially, are going to try to save their jobs. And If that's the case, then uh, rather than trading Harrison Barnes and uh, Robert Covington and CJ McCollum and Buddy Heald and Marvin Bagley and Damian Lillard, rather than trading those pieces – To try to start the rebuilding process, those teams may be going the other direction and further ruining their future hopes Um, for a championship prospect or a deep playoff run prospect that I just don't think is there. It would be pretty tough to see. I hope that that doesn't befall either of those teams, but uh, we've seen it before from desperate franchises, so I'd be very concerned. And finally, The West Sellers of San Antonio, Houston, New Orleans, OKC. San Antonio, they're in line to trade Thaddeus Young. He's been kind of wallowing away off their bench, not really doing a whole heck of a lot. Uh, He is a good player and would be a good fit for a lot of teams, uh, especially teams that need a backup five that they trust as a playmaker, as a roller. Um, But he could potentially be traded along with a player like DeJounte Murray or Derek White. And maybe this is a Ben Simmons destination. Maybe this is a Brandon Ingram destination of all places where you try to rehab some value. You try to get younger if you're San Antonio. And you just see what you can get. Um, Try to shake up the deck a little bit for whoever the next coach is going to be. I don't think it's going to be Greg Popovich for long, and he's just not going to want to have to go through this rebuild. I I just can't imagine. Houston, they're also coming back down to earth. They have plenty of vets that you can probably acquire. Daniel House, Daniel Tice, Eric Gordon, DJ Augustine, maybe even Christian Wood, just to name a few. Uh, They're going to want to commit to Jalen Green when he comes back, as well as Kevin Porter Jr.,. Jayson Tate, Alperen Sengun, uh, those guys are very good. They're very young. They need the experience. They need the reps. Uh, it's pretty clear that that's the re- the direction that Houston has to go, especially with kind of the the winning streak that they have that they had. It, it's it's gone. It's definitely definitely gone. Um, the New Orleans Pelicans. My God, I have no idea what to really make of them. I have no idea what I would do if I were David Griffin in this case. Now, he reaps what he sows because he's made all of these decisions and done a pretty terrible job, in my opinion. Uh, But it just seems like Zion Williamson is unreliable from a health perspective, unreliable from a future superstar perspective. And because of that... They may want to get out ahead of that if they can. If they could sell him for a package that ain't that was just a a godfather offer from a team like New York, for example. Like making the bet that if they acquire four New York first-round picks and three first-round swaps, along with somebody like RJ Barrett, then I think you'd do that deal. Like They are not going anywhere fast with this group. And I just don't see any free agents wanting to be there. I don't see any draft picks that they have really panning out to be star caliber teammates next to those guys. And it's not going to be in time for when I think the ticking time bomb that is Zion Williamson is going to run out. So if that's the case... Then we may see some. I I don't think they're going to trade Zion. To be clear, like that's just, it's just not viable. It's something that I would do, but I don't have to run the team. I don't have to face the, the vitriol and the and the brushback that would come from a decision like that. OKC, okay, they would do that. Sam Preston would do that. He would like. Shea Gilgis Alexander was a much more reliable max contract option for them Uh, and he's clearly a very talented player who's going to be so for a long long time his health concerns are nowhere near as bad as zion's if at all um so they can at least know that that is in their back pocket as they continue to develop other players and find other pieces to go around Shay. um they will continue to do so. They'll trade players like Kenrich Williams or at least run a high price for somebody like that. And they have a bunch of uh, money that they need to take on in order to reach the salary floor as well. They will do that at the deadline or at least charge a whole heck of a lot to try to do so. Um, But I'm very interested in what they do and what their plan is to really turn this thing around. Because if they continue to tank – and play like they're tanking and act like they're tanking, even if they don't say that they're tanking, uh, they are constantly doing it. Like, if you lose by 72 points, you get to uh, you lose all credibility there. So, is what it is. I'm very curious to see how they handle this. I'm curious to see how the rest of the league handles this, because as I've shown here, I think there are like seven actual sellers. You've got San Antonio, Houston, New Orleans, OKC. You've got Indiana, Orlando, and Detroit. I think if you're the other teams, you can talk yourself into making the play-in, making the playoffs, trading for somebody else, and finding that next rhythm. I think you can do that if you're Denver, but you have the best player in the league. Can you do that if you're Sacramento, if you're Portland? Can you do that if you're New York? Can you do that if you're Austin, Like, I don't think so. And because of that, I think that teams are going to be diluting themselves a little bit too much. And that is going to make this trade deadline very interesting, but also probably less volatile than what many people think they might be. I think the Ben Simmons thing will probably get sorted out, and that'll be a very interesting domino to drop, but I don't think anything else will. And because of that, it's going to be kind of boring. That is going to do for this episode of Pickaxe and Roll, presented by DraftKings Sportsbook, America's top-rated sportsbook app. Thank you so much for tuning in. If you listen to this this far, uh, thank you so much. It, it means the world to me that uh, you value my uh, you value the content that I'm putting out there. Uh, this was on a tough day for me. But I am glad to put out the content, absolutely, and I look forward to hearing your thoughts as to which trade partners Denver should probably look at and whether they have something that they can actually legitimately do. Thank you so much, everybody. We'll talk to you guys very soon.